everybody. I uh, want to say hi to everybody watching in Bishopville and Pacala and watching online. And um, I want to say before we dive into the message today, a special word of appreciation to all of you who volunteered for the Fall Festival on all three of our campuses. Thank you for your work. Thank you for the candy donations. Thank you to our children's ministry staff. Uh, we appreciate so much. We had between four uh, and 500 and Bishopville, four and 500 at Pacala, and we had 4,000 here at Loring Mill. So uh, thank you. And to all the parents, yeah. yeah that's. And to all the parents whose children did not sleep last Sunday night because they'd eaten all the candy, <laughs> that's your fault for bringing them. No, no, I, didn't. I don't mean that at all. So, so we're in this message series entitled, Then I Met Jesus. And the big idea of the series, and really the big idea in every message is the same. It is, when you meet Jesus, everything can change. When you meet Jesus, everything can change. It doesn't mean everything will change. And today we're gonna to see a story about a, a man, everything could have changed for him, but it didn't. Because <laughs> there was one thing he needed to do, and he wouldn't do it. So if you have a Bible, open it up to Luke chapter 18. The Gospel of Luke chapter 18, we're gonna start in verse 18. And, and this story, as Luke tells it, really could be best understood like a play. It has two acts and there's an intermission in the middle. And so we're gonna take advantage of that intermission to kind of think about the first part and then after the second part, we'll think about that. So let's dive in, let's hear beginning in verse 18, God's word. A certain ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. All these I've kept since I was a boy, he said. Jesus heard this. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, you still lack one thing. Sell everything you have, give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When he heard this, he became very sad because he was very wealthy. So what do we know about this ruler in the story? All right, to state the obvious, first thing we know about him is that he is a ruler, which means two things. It means he has status. He is recognized. People know that he is the guy you go to see to get things done. And we also know that rulers are used to being in control. You've seen this, haven't you? You put somebody in charge at work or somebody's in charge of a military unit and they get accustomed to being in charge, to being in control. And have you ever noticed that the people who are the bosses tend to think they are the bosses of everything? Yeah. They, they, they think that they get to run everything. And so you kind of get the feeling this guy is used to being in control. Now here's the second thing we notice about this ruler is that he's spiritually curious. And this is a good thing. It's a good thing. He asks a question, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? So he's interested in knowing more about spiritual things. That's a positive. But we also know he has flawed thinking. And we hear it in his question. His question is, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? Now, to really understand 
what he's asking, we have to go back into some historical background. So hang with me a little bit. Um, in Jesus' day, there were two different ways of thinking about an inheritance. In Jesus' day, um, the Jews, and according to the scripture teachings, an inheritance was not something you earned, it was something given to you. It was grace, it was a gift. But the Romans had a different idea about inheritance. The Romans often, if you were wealthy, would wait and see how the kids turned out before they decided if they would inherit the parents' wealth. So just think about this, a lot of pressure if you're one of the parents, if you're the kid, right? <laughs> hey, if you're not good enough, you're not gonna get anything. It was very common for wealthy Roman citizens to adopt as a son an adult who was worthy of getting their inheritance. The most famous example of this was Julius Caesar. You remember Julius Caesar from history? He's the guy who courted Cleopatra and then he fought against Cleopatra and Mark Anthony. He was the wealthiest man in the Roman Empire. He was a very influential politician. He was the first Caesar, the first emperor of the Roman Empire. And as he aged, he realized that he wanted a different kind of heir, so he legally adopted his 18-year-old, which was an adult in those days, a great nephew named Octavius. And Octavius became his legal son. And when Julius Caesar died, Octavius inherited all of his money, inherited his political power, and eventually became Caesar himself. He changed his name once he became Caesar. He became known not as Caesar Octavius, but as Caesar Augustus. You remember that name from Luke chapter two? Yeah, the only reason we remember him is because way off in a corner of his empire that he forgot all about, our savior was born. But that's another story. We'll get to that in December. So let's go back to our ruler. He's operating with one foot in the Jewish tradition, I wanna inherit something, and one foot in the Roman tradition, what do I have to do to get this? In other words, how am I worthy? How, how do I check the box? How do I make sure this gets taken care of? You hear his flawed thinking? It's like he can't quite decide which way he wants to go. Now, when Jesus responds to him, Jesus has a, a different response than we might think. Jesus starts out by asking him, why do you call me good? Why do you call me good? Only God is good. And you hear Jesus' subtle challenge to this ruler. The subtle challenge is, look, if you're calling me good, and only God is good, are you really calling me God? And if you're really calling me God, are you willing to accept that I'm in charge? Are you willing to accept that I'm in control? Are you willing to accept my authority? And then Jesus does something that we might miss. He begins um, to say to this ruler, you know the commandments. You know the commandments. And Jesus lists five of the Ten Commandments. Now, a little, again, a little background. The Ten Commandments 
are divided into two groups. The first four are about your relationship with God. No other gods before me, uh, no idols, don't take the Lord God's name in vain, remember the Sabbath, keep it holy. That's about your relationship with God. The next six are about your relationship with other people. And Jesus names five of the next six, and he leaves one out. Bible trivia time, which one did he leave out? Okay, I'll, I'll solve it for you, because <laughs> I, I read ahead. <laughs> he left out the commandment that says, you shall not covet. What is covet? That means I look at what you have, and I decide that's what makes me happy. So I want what you have. In our day, it's called advertising. <laughs> right? If you just have this, you'll be happy. I wonder why Jesus left that command out. Could it be that he already knew this ruler had issues with things like greed, materialism, status? Now the ruler says, I've kept all of these since I was a boy. Which probably means since he achieved his bar mitzvah at age 12, that he would have kept all of these commands. Jesus does not argue with him. He does not say, look, look, you're really out of touch. Instead, Jesus seems to accept, okay, you're a good person. Morally, you are a good person. But being a good person and having eternal life are not the same thing. Jesus says to this really good moral person who is a ruler and who has status, you lack one thing. You still have a next step. Sell everything. Give to the poor. Come and follow me. Jesus touches on that one spot where this ruler has a next step. I, uh, I was watching this video um, about ships being launched. And the reason I was watching this video about ships being launched is because I am a nerd, okay? I just think it's fascinating. So it was a picture of this big ship and it's on these rubber bladders. Have you seen these things? They, they put the ship on these rubber bladders and then the ship is held in place by one metal strut. It is holding this enormous ship in place and then there's a guy in a hard hat with an acetylene torch, and they don't pay that guy enough. He runs under the ship, and he cuts that metal strut, and that ship begins to roll. And this guy is running for his life because he's not stupid, right? And so he's running. The ship is sliding backward. It hits the water. The ship is finally where it is meant to be because finally it was cut loose. There's one thing that needs to be cut loose from this ruler's life for him to be where he's meant to be. Now, let's be clear. Jesus did not say to every one of his followers, go sell everything you have and give to the poor. 
But he does say it to this ruler because it is the issue that's keeping him from taking his next step. And then Jesus invites him to follow him. Now again, because if you grew up in church, you've probably heard this story. We miss some of this. But do you hear the contrast? The ruler is saying, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What do I have to do to check the box, to cross the finish line? Jesus is saying, look, your relationship with God is not a transaction. It is not a state to enter. It is a relationship. It is an adventure. Follow me. Following Jesus always means, we say this again, following Jesus always means you leave something behind. And the ruler becomes very sad because now we're told he has great wealth. Jesus has struck home. Jesus has identified that one place that's keeping this ruler from his next step. Now just imagine we're at this play and all of a sudden the lights come up and it's intermission. And in intermission, what do you do? You, you'd kind of turn to one another and say, wow, what did you think? What do you, what do you make of what's happening? And so I wanna ask you real quick three questions after this first part, this first act of the passage. Three questions, number one, are you trying to be in control? Are you trying to be in control of your life? Maybe more important, are you trying to tell God how he needs to give you eternal life? I'm a good person, God. And so God, this is what I expect from you. None of us are brave enough to say that out loud. I wonder how many of us say it in our hearts. You know, sometimes when I talk to people, they will say something like, um, the reason I struggle with God is because if God is good, then why do bad things happen to good people? But you see the flaw in the question, don't you? The flaw in the question is that God is God, and God gets to define what is good. I don't get to define what is good. Because frankly, I don't have the capacity. Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad I don't define what's good? You see, because I might think this is good, but I can't see tomorrow, I can't see next year, I can't even see to eternity, and I may, may make a decision about it's good today, and it might turn out to be really bad tomorrow. Only God has the ability to define good. And this is a reminder, by the way, for you and I, never let pain define what is good. Instead, go to God and say, God, what is good? And whatever you say is good, whatever you say is right, I will accept your authority. And that leads us to the second question. Will you respect the authority of Jesus? I wonder how many of us are like the ruler. Jesus, you're good, good teacher. But we're not quite ready to accept that when Jesus speaks, 
There is authority. You see, Jesus being good is more than just, okay, he's good and we ought to respect him. It means that he has authority over our lives. And Jesus knew this would be an issue for us, so he actually says in John 14, 21, if you love me, keep my commands. Now let me explain to you what that verse means. It means if you love Jesus, you keep his commands. I studied hard in seminary to be able to share this with you. I mean, it's plain, isn't it? And yet, how often do I struggle and want to argue with Jesus? Because I like singing the songs. I like praising him. I I like being in church. I like learning about him through his word. I love praying. But will I actually show my love by obeying him? Here's the third question in intermission. Will I take my next step? When Jesus identifies the one thing that's holding me back from taking my next step, will I let it go or will I hold on to it? If Jesus tells me to sell my boat, will I sell it? If Jesus tells me (laughs) to give up my family ranch in Florida, Would I let it go? You know that ranch that's been in my family since 1860 that my great-grandfather homesteaded? That my grandfather and my father and my mother and my stepfather and my brother have fought so hard to keep in the hands of our family? Would I be willing to let that go? Don't ask me that question after church if you don't mind. Is there one thing that's holding you back from your next step? And, And maybe it's even same issue as this ruler. Is your comfort more important than following Jesus? Is what you have more important than following Jesus? Will you actually obey Jesus when he tells you what to do with your money? Now we are to the second act of the story. We'll pick it up in verse 24. Jesus looked at him, that is this ruler, and said, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard this asked, who then can be saved? And Jesus replied, what is impossible with man is possible with God. Peter said to him, we have left all we had to follow you. Truly I tell you, Jesus said to them, no one who has left home or wife or brothers or sisters or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will fail to receive many times as much in this age and in the age to come eternal life. Now when Mark, the writer of the Gospel of Mark, tells this same story, he adds two details. The first detail is Jesus looks at this ruler and he loves him. which is really significant because Jesus is not telling this ruler to sell what he has because Jesus is mean. Jesus is not trying to take something away from the ruler. Jesus is trying to help the ruler be set free. He loves him. And the second thing we're told is that the ruler went away. 
So I want you to get this scene. Jesus is having this conversation with this ruler, and he says, you lack one thing. Go sell everything you have, give to the poor, come follow me. And, and can you just picture this scene? Here is the ruler, and he's looking at Jesus, and I imagine this look of shock coming over his face, just like, that's not what I expected. And there's just this awful moment of pregnant silence. And then that ruler starts to turn away and walk away, which means he can probably hear Jesus say what Jesus says next. How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Now let me explain to everybody under the age of 30. There are these things called needles. They have little holes at the top. You put thread through it, and that's how you sew on buttons, and that's how you sew things together. And if you don't understand this, ask your grandmother, okay? She will tell you what it means to sew. All right. What's Jesus trying to say to us? If you fly way up, you realize Jesus is using hyperbole, exaggeration, to make his point. And his point is very simple. God's way of measuring your life is different than your way of measuring your life. Our culture has taught us to think about success. Success is measured by achievement, status, and possessions. Bob Buford insightfully says, in life we face a major choice. Will we pursue success or will we seek significance? What is significance? Significance is your impact on the people around you. What's more important to you? Success or significance? How does God measure your life? Through your achievements, your possessions, your status, or the impact you have on others, your significance? I wonder if Jesus could see everything this ruler was gonna miss as he walked away. I mean, maybe, maybe Jesus' plan for this ruler's life was for him to become one of the teachers of the early church. Maybe, maybe, maybe this ruler was supposed to accompany Paul on one of his missionary journeys. Maybe this ruler was supposed to actually use some of his resources to help fund the work of the apostles as they preached and taught and prayed. He missed it. You've probably heard an old saying that goes, a miss by an inch as good, is as good as a miss by a mile. You ever heard that phrase? It's true, isn't it? You miss by that much, you miss by this much. Unless we're talking about grenades, you still miss. Now, the interesting reaction of the people who hear this is to say, well, who then can be saved? Because they had the idea, if you are wealthy, 
it is easier for you to follow God. And part of the reason is because in the Old Testament, there are 683 different commands, teaching, and laws that you were expected to follow. How many of you think you could follow 683 rules? How many of you struggled to find your car keys this morning before you came to church? So the idea is if you are wealthy, you have been blessed by God because now you have discretionary time and you are able to really think about religious things, about keeping the law. And Jesus says, no, guys, you got it all wrong. We're talking about the kingdom. We, we are talking about following me, about thinking like the king, adopting the king's values, being adopted into the king's family. And that's why Jesus says it's hard for the rich to enter the kingdom. Now we struggle with this idea, still, still we struggle with this idea. And, and I'll show you, how many of you think if you go went to the mail tomorrow and there was a letter, a letter from an attorney and the attorney's letter said that you had an uncle you didn't know about and that uncle had passed away and left you a million dollars. How many of you think your life would be better if you inherited a million dollars tomorrow? Oh, come on, people, if you're not raising your hand. Right, most of us, most of us agree. And, and, and why is that? Because you're thinking right away, well, if I had a million dollars, I could pay off my house, I could pay off my debts, I could fund my kid's college, we maybe could buy that second place at the beach or in the mountains. Some of you are even thinking, hey, if I had a million dollars, I could give it to the church. And a few of you who are truly righteous. I haven't even told the joke yet and you're laughing. A few of you who are truly righteous are thinking, if I had a million dollars, I could give it to Pastor Clay. <laughs> and so tomorrow, if you get that letter, you call me, okay? Uh, maybe another way to put this to you is, why do you think people buy lottery tickets? Because we all think, if I had just a little more money, or a lot more money, my life would be easier. That's why Jesus says, look guys, if you're rich, the temptation will always be that you can buy the help you need. But the poor don't have that luxury. The poor have to ask for help. And this, this idea is so important because Jesus goes on and he says, look, with man it's impossible, but with God all things are possible. God can put a camel through the eye of a needle if God wants to. It's one of the neat things about being God. And, and what is impossible for us is possible for God. And so it's not that we have to do anything. God has already done the impossible for us. When he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on a cross to pay for the sins of messed up, troubled people like you and like me. God's already done the impossible. He's loved us when we are unlovable. He's forgiven us when we're unforgivable. And then he changes our lives and he heals us. He pushes us forward. And Peter speaks up, as we knew Peter would, and he says, well, we left everything. Don't you remember, Lord, I left my boat, I left my nets, I left my occupation, my business, and I left the catch of a lifetime. Plus, I left my wife and my mother-in-law to follow you. And Jesus says, Peter, 
even if you've left everything, you'll receive more when you follow me. Now, one thing we need to be sure we pick up. Jesus says, you'll receive more what? In a home, more in parents, more in siblings, more in family. A lot of you come from dysfunctional families. Those of you who think you don't come from a dysfunctional family have not looked for the skeletons in your family's closet. Because let's face it, there are no perfect parents, right? And, and there's no perfect kids. And Jesus is saying, when my people come together, there is a chance for a different kind of family. There's a chance for you to be loved, not for what you do. There's a chance for you not to be condemned, but to be treasured, to be valued. The spiritually mature, the spiritually wise, you can come together and reparent some people who've been broken by their families of origin. And you can be brothers and sisters to each other, just like Darla said in her video, when her daughter committed suicide, someone from our church came alongside her and said, I know. I've been there. And the play ends. The passage ends. And, and just like an intermission, we turn to one another and say, what do you think? So let me spur the discussion and ask you these three questions. Are you missing your purpose? Everyone has a purpose. Don't miss yours. This ruler misses his purpose. What's your purpose? Now, three weeks ago, I shared with you that I think everybody has a specific purpose, but we can generally understand our purpose under three broad headings. Your three purposes in life are, first of all, to share your story. Somebody needs to hear your story. Second, you need to share your spiritual gifts and serve others. Third, you need to share your material and financial resources so God's work can be done. Are you missing your purpose? Second question, are you trusting wealth? Jesus is telling us that wealth can actually be a hindrance. It can get in the way of us being in his kingdom. Now, many of you right now are protesting and you are saying, well, I'm not wealthy. If you are listening to this message and you have a job or you have social security or you draw a pension, you are richer than 90% of the people in this world. You're rich. There are people all over this world that would trade places with you in a minute. So we just want you to affirm that to one another. Would you find someone sitting close to you, turn to them and say, you are rich. I love being up here because I get to see the couples. You know, where it's, it's like the, the man is saying, you're rich, honey. And she says, you're rich. <laughs> but that's the truth. And, and let me tell you, remember, rich people tend to think they can buy help. But you cannot buy salvation. You cannot earn salvation. It's a free gift. Many of us fall prey to what I call the American denial. What's the American denial? In America today, the predominant theme is to think of yourself as a victim instead of believing you're blessed. 
Because when you are a victim, you're not responsible for your choices. You feel like somebody owes you something, and you feel like if only somebody would help me, all my problems would get fixed. But if you actually understand you're blessed, you live gratefully and generously. Do you see yourself as a victim? Or do you see yourself as blessed? All right, here's the last question. Are you trusting God to do what you cannot do? Are you trusting God to do what you can't do? I think about all the things in my own life where I think if I just work a little harder or if I can just hide this a little bit longer, my life will be better. Doesn't work. Doesn't work. You know it doesn't work. I know it doesn't work. I need God to do the impossible for me. I feel like every week I talk to people who are saying, you know, what can I do to fix my marriage? What can I do to fix my kids? Pastor Clay, I'm dealing with this addiction. What can I do? Hey, you know, it's impossible to control another person. Did you know that? Did you know that? I mean, you tell, you, I prove this, you tell a teenager, you go to your room and you think about what you did. Well, you can make them go to their room, but can you make them think about what they did? No. It takes God to do the impossible. It takes God speaking into people's lives. And so maybe a wiser, wiser next step is to actually say, God, you do the impossible in this situation. You do the impossible in my life. Will you let Jesus do the impossible for you? Will you let Jesus save you? Will you let Jesus change you? Will you let Jesus heal you? There's a hymn that many of you sung, um, maybe when you were growing up in church. Uh, and you may not know the origin of the hymn or the song. It, it actually came from the state of Assam in India. And it, the song is based on the last dying words of a man named Nak Singh. He had grown up a Hindi. And then he heard an American Baptist missionary talk about Jesus and he believed and his family believed and they began to endure intense persecution because they were now different. And one day his friends and neighbors killed him because of his faith in Jesus. And the story spread throughout that part of India about his dying words. And an Indian missionary named Sadhu Sundar Singh heard the story about Nak Singh and he wrote down this man's dying words and they were heard and translated into English and became a hymn. You may have heard this hymn before. I have decided to follow I have decided to follow Jesus. 
that's our prayer today, that we would follow you. We'll follow Jesus. We'll not turn back. Whatever we have to let go of, we'll let go of, because Jesus is worth it. And I pray for any who today need to start that journey and accept Jesus as Savior and Lord. And I pray, Father, for those of us who who have already made that decision, but we struggle so hard sometimes to let go. Give us courage to let go help us to give all to Jesus. For it's in his name we pray. Amen.